This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 7. This is Writing Excuses Cliffhangers with Robinson Wells. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. I'm I'm Rob. Rob, thanks for coming, Rob. How are you? Pretty good. Today we have Double the Wells Brother for Double the Fun. Yay. Well, Double the Wells Brother for 1.25 times the fun. (laughs) 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 You could have turned that joke against Dan by saying double the Wells brother five times the fun. Oh, I was going to make it a weight joke and say we have at least three times as much. Oh, burn. <laughs> um, I hate all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Rob has uh, been on the podcast before, I believe. I have. Um, and Rob also does his own podcast. I do my own with Dan. Dan with, and I woo-hoo. podcast together. You do? We do. It is called Do I Dare to Eat a Peach? And it is the Wells Brothers arguing about pop culture. Oh, wow. Why didn't I know about this? I was wondering that, too. Yeah. Wow. I knew about that. You should, be all, you should all be listening to it. Neither of you follow Dan on Twitter. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I said I know about it. I'm wondering why he didn't. I follow oh. Dan on Twitter. I just... Don't actually read Twitter. Don't actually read Twitter. <laughs> Brandon hires someone to follow me on Twitter. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about cliffhangers and more specifically about leaving people, re- leaving the reader in the dark when it's a good idea, when it's a bad idea. This was actually pitched by Rob. So why have you been thinking about this topic? Well, I was thinking about it um, a lot in reference to um, when I was writing feedback, the sequel to Variant. Um, there is a lot of... Uh, backstory but i'm not really uh a lot of backstory to the world that i created but i'm not doing a genre that is really conducive to a ton of backstory it's not Mm -hmm. an epic fantasy where you can get into what happened 150 years ago even though that relates and so i really struggled a lot with how much backstory do i give how do i introduce that information and how much is fine to leave out and I actually, um, much to the, uh, I don't know, readers like it, some readers don't like right. it, but I, I kind of lean toward, toward leaving readers wondering. Mm-hmm. One of my very favorite scenes in, in a book on this subject, um, have you guys read the, the original um, Phantom of the Opera? No, I haven't. Oh, it's no. pretty fantastic. There's, there's just one oh, scene wait, in I, it. Oh, wait, I have. It's one with the Persian, right? So it's the Persian. Yeah, okay. Okay, so there's a scene in it when um, the uh, the main characters, I can't even remember their names. What's the what's the dreamboat in... in uh, I don't know. His name guy. is Dreamboat. From dreamboat, now on. okay. Yeah. So the guy is going down, being led into uh, the tunnels underneath the opera house uh, to find the phantom. And he is told to hide by the Persian. The Persian is kind of his guide and, uh, and says, uh, we have to hide. And a, they just refer to him as a shade. A shade walks past him. 
And he asks, is that a guard? Is that someone with the, with the opera house uh, um, security? And, uh, and basically the, the response from the Persian is, no, uh, this shade is far more dangerous than the fandom ever could be. And that is all that we ever hear about this guy. It is, it is about three paragraphs worth of them hiding in the dark from this super evil entity that is under, the sh under there with the phantom. Uh, and we never learn more about him. And I just find that so fascinating and so intriguing. And I like that we never learn about it because it kind of implies all of this additional depth to the world um, that, is, that is being created there. Additional depth to the supernaturalness of it. Um, without getting into any detail. The same thing happens with um, uh, Jafar in Disney's Aladdin. You know, we see that uh, we see the the lamp and all the the magic that's associated with it. But Jafar has Jafar has a staff of mind control, <laughs> and uh, we don't know where it came from, but we know that he's been using it for a while, and it's never explained. And it's it's a stronger story for it having never been explained because. We don't need that part. We just need to know that there are pieces here that add richness and depth to the 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 magic that we're facing. I really think that we're talking about two concepts here, too, though. I mean, <coughs> excuse me. This is the um, the idea of the the submerged iceberg. That mm. the top level of storytelling and world building and things like this is what you need to tell the reader, and you leave this sense that there is so much more underneath this story to give it a sense of realism. Um, I think that's actually different, though, than leaving the reader in the dark about plot elements. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. I, I've, uh, when I read uh, Red Seas Under Red Sky, uh -huh. um, I think Scott Lynch does a really good job of navigating the, uh, the, the flow of information to the readers. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there basically, it's a heist, and, and I think this is one of the things you have to do in the heist. Where right. You have to let the readers know that they know what's going on, right. but you cannot tell them what is going on without... Yeah, this, this can get really tricky depending on your viewpoint. Um, for example, in the Mistborn books, I, which is also the first mm -hmm. one's a heist story, uh, main character, Kelsier, is leaving out information. And I have viewpoints from his eyes. You kind of have to even cheat a little bit mm -hmm. and have him say, I can't think about that right now, or that I, my, my plans go further than this, but I've got to focus on this one piece or something like that, which is almost, I would say, is cheating. It is a form of cheating that I trap myself into by saying, Kelsier has to have a secret plan for the heist to work. We can't know what it is. And number three, I have to have viewpoints from his, um, from his eyes because he's, he's such an engaging character. And those three things together forced me to use this cheat. Yeah, I'm running into that with, um, with the fourth book in the Shades of Milk and Honey uh, which is a heist as well, and it's all tight third person, so I don't have the option of skipping right. to somebody else. Mm. And the way I'm handling it is by having my main character... So I've got the problem that she is the problem that I do not want her to address for the readers. Mm -hmm. So I have her think about some other aspect. I, have her f I just shift what she is thinking about during that scene, mm -hmm. um, which is an interesting balance to play with. But the thing that I was going to say with Red Seas and Red, Under Red Skies as well is that um, which I also used as a model, is that when he is thinking about backstory, mm -hmm. he does he just thinks about, oh, you know, this unpleasant thing happened, but he doesn't say what the unpleasant thing happened that happened is. So if you if you read those books out of sequence, mm -hmm. those clues that he drops act as cliffhangers for the first book. 
Okay. So you get into the first book and you're waiting the entire time for the bad thing that is going to happen, but you don't actually know what it is. Um, Rob, I've read uh, Variant, very good book. You withhold a lot of information from the reader. I do. Mostly because the character doesn't know it. Yes, and that's, that's intentional. Um, mm -hmm. I, the book is uh, dealing with a very large uh, conspiracy that, uh, that spans a lot of time and a lot of science. And, uh, um, uh, but the main character is a 17-year-old kid from the projects, basically. Right. And, uh, and I wanted to tell his story, and I didn't want to, to get into this too much when I actually got into the sequel and to feedback. Yeah. Um, I uh, started dealing with it, and I wanted to, to get into this backstory because I developed so much of it. Um, and when I turned it into my editor, uh, she said, well, the way that you went about this, because you wanted to include all of this stuff that you developed, is so kind of convoluted. I basically had a mole that was feeding mm -hmm. him information, and, uh, and uh, my editor said, you know, it's just not working. Let's just tell his story, and, mm. and we'll get the answers that we need to get for his story. We won't get the answers for... Um, for the epic world, but we will get enough uh, that it will satisfy the readers, and and that is really the balancing line is is between how much is enough. Yeah. Now Rob's book is a really good example of this because what it's really coming down to in his case is what genre he's working with, mm -hmm. and he's working in thriller. Yeah. You know, and so in a thriller, you could throw all of that extra information in and then it would become a much larger story. It would become by necessity a much slower paced story because you have to slow down and discover all of this backstory. Much more of an investigation, much more of a kind of long form science fiction. When you're telling a thriller, you have to pare down to what's really important. And it's, you know, this one kid's story, what he's afraid of, what he doesn't know, and how he deals with well, it. Well, it's also a YA thriller. And mm -hmm. YA also has a sense of, you should pare this down and keep this lean. Um, mm -hmm. The first one really kind of feels a little bit like, um, it, it's a great story. First, a character story, and second, an information thriller. When the information starts to come out, things snowball, and more and more facts pile on top of one another. Why don't you actually, well, we'll do our book of the week. Why don't you promo the second in the series or the first in the series, however you want to do it. Sure, the, sure. The series to us. <laughs> okay, pitch the series to you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Uh, the first book is Variant, uh, which uh, narrated on uh, Audible by Michael Goldstrom, who does a great job. Um, and uh, Variant is basically the story about a kid who is trying to flee his crappy, crappy life uh, in the projects of Pittsburgh. And uh, he takes a scholarship to the private school in the middle of nowhere. And uh, when he gets there, he finds out that he's essentially in a prison. He doesn't know why he's there, um, but he knows that uh, he is uh, being observed. He knows that he's part of some kind of project. And the story is him trying to, uh, trying to, to get some answers and trying to escape. Um, and then uh, the second book deals with the second book feedback. Um, deals with the consequences of that escape, and and uh, and once you escape, uh, where do you go from there? 
and uh, and that is where we start to get into a few more answers and where we I, I still withhold some answers. So anyway, head over to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Pick up a variant by Robison Wells for free if you kick off your free trial, 30 day free trial. And then you can get feedback for 30 percent off. There you go. Yeah. Now, I have a story to tell about Variant, and it does tie in, and he knows what story I'm going to tell. Dan knows what story I'm going to tell, um, and this has to do with cliffhangers. I love the book. The book was fantastic. Rob had sent it to me, um, and he'd been trying to get me to read it for a while. Um, he'd sent me a physical copy and then an, an e-copy. It's not like he was banging on my door, but he'd given me a couple opportunities. I finally sat down to read it. I read the e-copy on my, on my e-reader. And I read this book, and I was loving it. I'm like, wow, this is great. Um, and I hadn't read any of Rob's writing since he was in our writing group back when we were all awful. And so it was like a wonderful experience. I'm like, hey, he's gotten as good as the rest of us have. Um, that's a great experience. <laughs> then I got to this last page of this book, and I clicked next. And I thought, oh, no, my file's corrupted. Because it stopped in the middle of a scene, in my, my opinion. I'm like... I file corrupted. This is awful. So I go to my laptop and I pull up the file, and I look and I'm like, go to the end. I'm like, yep, the whole file's corrupted. It was corrupted on here. That's why I didn't transfer. I have to go find the physical book. And so I spent about an hour digging through all the manuscripts people give me and things like this to find the physical book to finally get the ending. I sat down, relaxed, and flipped to the end, and it ends in the same that way. was the same ending. <laughs> So let's talk about cliffhangers. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, let's say let, let's point out for a moment, uh, fair listener, that experience that Brandon had, he would not have had if yes. he wasn't so wrapped up in the book. You don't have to have that experience. You can go buy both of them. That's yeah, true. Exactly. That's exactly. true. <laughs> it's also an experience I wouldn't have had if I'd had an actual book in my hands. Um, I, it didn't even enter my mind. The cliffhanger was so cliffhangery, it didn't enter into my mind that... Um, that this was the ending. Yeah, yeah. Now, now cliffhangers are, uh, I think, ironically, very controversial. Yeah. I was on tour a few months ago. I guess it was last year by the time this airs. Um, and that was one of the questions from the audience is, yeah. why do you use cliffhangers? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And all three of the authors were like, well, because sometimes they're really, really good to use. So... Rob, defend yeah. yourself. Why do you well, use a cliffhanger at the people, end of variant? People hate them, and uh, one of my favorite things is I'll get reviews where it'll come across on Twitter saying, Robinson Wells, I hate you so much right now, five out of five stars. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it really, it really bugs readers, but in a good way, hopefully. Um, uh, the reason that I used it uh, initially is because of uh it originally ended a chapter before the cliffhanger it ended with basically this very ambiguous ending of of escape but we didn't really know uh anything more than uh i mean i guess i'm spoiling the first book <laughs> but you know it's a book about escape so they escape um uh so it it ends with with basically people fleeing off into the wilderness and uh and people felt like the editors, as it was in the submission process, felt like that was just not a strong enough conclusion. It was it just felt too ambiguous to them. Mm. And so I had, I, I was talking to my agent, uh, and we basically came to two choices. We could either extend the word count significantly and answer a lot more questions, um, but... Already, the editors were saying this is too long. At the time, it was about ninety-five thousand words, 
Um, and so long. Yeah, I know, so long. Well, for YA, <laughs> no, for, it is. It for is. a debut YA, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's about as far pushing it as you can go. Um, and, uh, or, I mean, to sell it easily, that's about as far pushing <laughs> as you can go. Um, and uh, where was I going with this? Okay, so we could either add more word content, maybe another ten or 15,000 words to it, or we could put a very conclusive, this is the end of the book, uh, um, cliffhanger on it. And in the end, that's what I decided to do, is, is rather than answer questions, basically say, this is the end of the book, sorry, sucka. <laughs> Tune in next week, same bat time, <laughs> same very much, bat um, channel. Dan and I discussed it right after we read it, and he said, Rob is taking the lost philosophy on telling a story. Lost each, <laughs> lost each episode, um, asked two questions for everyone, it answered. Mm. Um, and that's that's how that and that is a def, that's actually a thriller method of pacing, um, mm-hmm. and it does work very well for thrillers. I have a a, a philosophy in my and I'm I'm doing epic fantasy, mm-hmm. different genres, but I feel that and when I write a book, I do often want to end with a bit of a cliffhanger. But the idea that I try to do is I try to give a complete narrative arc, and then tease for the next book, mm-hmm. um, which in a way your book does because the first right. book's about escaping and then you tease. Um, it's just the book sh- seems to shift about halfway from escaping to all these these cool questions. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I uh, with my novels, I tend to yeah. want to wrap things up, and and this may be because I'm coming from short fiction. Well, where... you also write standalone novels, but that, that was are a very deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really deliberate choice because as a reader, yeah. Um, but what I use is I use internal cliffhangers uh-huh. as a way to get people to um, to turn to the next chapter, which is what the cliffhanger was. You know, the, the term cliffhanger comes from the serials where you literally right. had a heroine hanging off the cliff. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they were trying to get you to come back next week for the movie theater. And I think that if you've got books that are that, you know, are going to come out, you know, pretty close to each other, that that the cliffhanger can work well. But I think sometimes it can work against you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've, you know, if if there, not that there are any authors that we know that take several years between books, but I think that, <laughs> I think that, that can frustrate a reader more yeah. than it than well, it can because they want because it it ups the level of how much they mm-hmm. want the book. Um, I, and I've run into that recently with partials, which, like Brandon said, I I was very careful in partials to start and end an arc mm-hmm. and then have a teaser and an epilogue at the end, mm-hmm. and. Um, one, just a week or two ago, I got a message on Twitter saying, Dan Wells, I cannot even express to you how angry I am that I read this book before the rest of the series was finished. Mm. Which is not a reading philosophy that makes sense to me personally, because that's not how I read. Mm-hmm. But it's a very common one. Mm-hmm. A lot of people simply won't read a series until it's finished. Yeah. And so that is something maybe to keep in mind. Um, on the other hand, you know... I thought Way of Kings had, you know, as big of a cliffhanger as Varian did. And I love that. I love getting to the end of the book and realizing there's so much more that I didn't know was there. The thing that Way of yeah. Kings did for me, and, and maybe Brandon has a completely different philosophy here, is that all of the questions that were being asked during the body of the story got satisfactory answers to them. But for me, the cliffhanger was questions that were being raised fairly late in the story or like late, late, right in the last chapter. Right. And that's usually my goal with cliffhangers. I ask you a question in chapter one, I'm going to answer it in the book. And if I ask you a question in chapter 10, I'm going to answer it in the book. I may ask some more questions in chapter 50, 
that then are going to be um, answered in the next book. Uh, we're out of time though. Uh, this, was, this was a fascinating topic. You can use cliffhangers for lots of cool reasons. You can choose not to. It's your own balance. I actually have a book of the week. Or I have a, a, a writing prompt. Your writing prompt is um, write the story of the shade, the scary, scary shade <laughs> from um, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And, um, and tell its backstory. And then throw them off a cliff. <laughs> this has been right excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go right. Wait, what's that? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.